First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening and welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here. And in just a moment, we're going to uh, talk about the scriptures that Jeff just read for us. But first, I want to welcome you and thank you for being with us here. It's great to see everyone back in town and here to worship with us. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, we, though, want to help you get connected. We don't just want to be a group of people that happen to show up in the same building once a week, but we really want to help you get connected to the biblical community here. So a uh, couple of ways that you can do that. Uh, one is to download our app. We really want to encourage you to do that. You can find it on the App Store or Google Play. Um, you can search Grace B3 and you'll see our app. And on that app, you can find lots of information, like when we're having meals. We have a meal tonight after the service, and you can know that if you have the app. You can listen to sermons. You can download PowerPoint from the sermons on there. You can find out information about the women's Bible study that's about to get started for the winter. Wow. Um, And then you can find out about classes that we have at our other location in North Liberty. There's all kinds of information right there on the app. So we want to encourage you to download that and stay connected with us through the app. Another way that you can get connected is we are starting up some prayer groups. Uh, We used to meet uh, once a month after the services to pray. That's great. But we want to kind of decentralize things and empower people to do um, prayer groups that that meet at different times. So actually tonight at 7 o'clock, after you eat your food, you can head down to where our nursery usually is. And Rebecca Yeager and Kathy Mark are going to be leading a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock right after we eat tonight. And they are going to continually uh, meet um, after the service on weeks, and they will let you know about that. Uh, But tonight, you can join them in prayer. So those are a couple ways that you can get connected here at Grace. As you just heard read the first five verses of 1 Thessalonians, we are jumping into this series looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians, the letter that Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica. And last week you heard an introduction where Steve walked us through kind of an overview of what we have in store for this book. And tonight we look at the first five verses. And in this series, we're taking a look at how we can be good news people. When we think about the gospel, when we think about good news, we typically think about everything that we just sang about here tonight. We just sang about the gospel. We just sang about being made right with a holy God because of Christ's work on the cross on our behalf. When we hear about the gospel, we usually think about substitutionary atonement. We usually think about Jesus's righteousness credited to us. We think about the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We think about the great works that we read in scripture in Ephesians and Galatians and Romans where it maps out for us exactly what Christ has done for us. 
But in 1 Thessalonians, we see a more well-orbed, fully formed view of what the gospel and the good news is and what good news people look like. In 1 Thessalonians, we actually only hear about grace twice, and Jesus being the access to that grace is only mentioned once. But throughout this book, Paul is definitively talking about the good news. We're going to see as we go through this book that Paul is not just talking about how we're made right with God, but he's talking about what life and what the church looks like when we are connected to God because of the gospel. So as we look at these first five verses of 1 Thessalonians, we're really going to see some key components that we need to keep in mind as we go throughout the rest of this book. I want to start with the context. I think this context is really important, and this is the context that Steve walked us through last week. If you want to listen to that sermon on the app, you can. But just very briefly, I want to go through the context of how this Uh, letter to the church in Thessalonica came to be. So in Acts 17, we read that Paul preaches for a few weeks in the town of Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia. He preaches there for a few weeks, and as he is preaching the gospel, uh, prominent women in the community and the Greco-Romans that were living in the area come to faith. They place their faith in Jesus. They believe the things that we were just singing about here tonight. As these prominent women and these Greco-Romans are coming to faith, the Jews become jealous of the power of God bringing these Gentiles to faith. And these Jews become jealous and they start a mob and they basically run Paul and the other apostles out of town. Paul had to leave after being there for just a few weeks. But then Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to give a report, to see how the church is doing, then bring a report back to him. And when Paul receives that report, he writes this letter called First Thessalonians. As we look at the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament is either about the life uh, and the work of Jesus, or it's these letters that Paul and other authors in the New Testament are writing to these churches, talking to them about different issues of faith and what it means to live in light of the gospel. And the report that Paul gets back is a great report, and he has a lot to be thankful for, for what God is doing in the church. That's one of the reasons that he takes this time to lay out for them what the next steps are for them in following Christ. We can see by the content of this letter that he feels like they have a good grasp of what it means to be made right with God. But now he wants to thank them for the evidence of that he already sees and walk them through what are the next steps of being God's good news people. If you recall from last week, Steve walked us through some key elements that we're going to take a look at in First Thessalonians. We want to grow in our understanding of how good the good news really is. Uh, As I mentioned, salvation is just mentioned a couple of times, but we get to see what good news in a full-orbed way looks like. We get to look at what lives look like that are shaped by the good news of the gospel. The hope is that we would get rooted as a church, as God's people, in the gospel, that it wouldn't just be something that Jesus did for us in the past and wouldn't just affect where we go when we die, but it would affect our everyday life so that we would indeed become his good news people. Would you pray with me and for me as we jump in? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. God, we pray that more than anything that it would get into us. God, we want to be your good news people. We are 
in a world and we live in a body of flesh that's full of bad news, God, we long to be your good news people. We need good news that can only come from our Heavenly Father. Father, we pray that you would speak through your word. We pray that you would speak through your spirit. God, we thank you for how you've already spoken through the words we sang here tonight and the the words we've prayed here tonight. God, speak the words that each one needs to hear tonight. Prepare us to come before the table of the Lord tonight as your good news people. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said before, these first five verses of 1 Thessalonians really lay out for us some foundational truths that are going to help us understand what is going on in this book. So please turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. So please open with me in your Bible or your Bible app to 1 Thessalonians. We'll take this in very small chunks, as you'll see up here on the screen, and um, we'll just take it kind of line by line here. So verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see this introduction, we can kind of move right past it and think, well, that's just the introduction to the letter. But as we read this, we need to think about, as Western Christians, that this is being written 2,000 years ago, and we need to think about what exactly is the church. What is the church that Paul is referring to? He calls the church in Thessalonica, he says, to the church of the Thessalonians. As we hear that word church, the first thing that we think of as Western believers is a building. We think about a group of people coming together in a building just like we are here tonight. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to realize that throughout scripture, we see that the church is God's collected people. And in fact, the word that's used most in the New Testament for God's church, the word, the Greek word means the called out ones, the ones that are brought out. So as he's writing to the church, he is saying that there's people in Thessalonica that have been brought out by God. And as we'll see, have been brought into God's family. He says here that the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ The church is those that are called out and brought into God's family by being in Christ. That's what they have that's the same about them. There's so many things that are different about the church of God. There are so many different things about the church in Thessalonica. It was a very diverse church. But the thing that brought them together was them being in Christ. Having a relationship with the Father because they were found in Christ. Let's continue on to the next section here. It says, grace to you and peace. Being in Christ is an act of grace that is done to us. There's nothing we can do to have a relationship with the Father. There's nothing that we can do to be in Christ in our own efforts. Christ, fully man, fully God, perfect in every way, dies on the cross, takes his sin upon his shoulders, just like we sang about, and trades that for his righteousness. He offers us his righteousness, but there's nothing we can do to receive that on our own. There's nothing we can do to be righteous in and of ourselves. There's nothing good in us apart from being in Christ. And a byproduct of that being in Christ through grace is peace. You'll see this in the majority of Paul's letters. He starts with grace 
and peace. He always starts by reminding them about grace and why they're a church, why they're good news people. It's because of grace. But then he often reminds them that they are people of peace as well. That's a profound thing to this church. It's a profound thing to the other New Testament churches. And it's a profound thing to us as well. Because outside of being in Christ, we do not find peace. We do not find peace geopolitically. We do not find peace in relationships. And we do not find peace in and of ourselves unless we are in Christ. We can find moments of harmony We can find moments where things go our way. We can live in a country that seems peaceful in that there's not a civil war currently going on in our country, but ultimately we cannot have true peace unless we are in Christ. And the same is said for this church in Thessalonica. So great, these people are coming together. These Greco-Romans are coming together, but they are coming together and forming a church, and they have different languages, different colors of skin, different pagan practices, as Steve talked about last week, that they're bringing in all this baggage of their past religious life into things, and all these people are coming together, and the thing that they have in common is being in Christ. The only way to find peace in and of themselves, and the only way to find peace with one another is through being in Christ. Christ and the grace of Christ at work in their life. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be able to agree on anything. They probably wouldn't be able to agree on what kind of food to have or what was out of bounds and couldn't be part of their Christian religious practice. Grace to you and peace. This can be contrasted with what Paul says in this very letter. We'll go back to 1 Thessalonians, but turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul contrasts this grace and peace that's found in Christ with the grace and peace we find in and of ourselves. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Verse 4, but you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. A huge theme of this book of Thessalonians is what will it look like on the day of the Lord? We'll get more into that as we get into chapters 4 and especially chapter 5. But the part that I'd like us to note here is the peace and security that Paul talks about that we think we have. Sometimes we think we have peace and security, but it's because we have comfort. We have equated peace with comfort. And it is an unbiblical idea. And so we find ourselves anxious, angry, sad, busy of heart and of schedule because we're trying to find peace in comfort. And it just doesn't work. Here's why. Either we don't find that comfort that we're looking for, or we find the comfort, but it's not really peace. 
It's just comfort. Paul here is not talking about comfort. He is not talking about lack of conflict. He is not talking about lack of situational difficulties. He is not talking about lack of physical ailments. He is talking about peace found in Christ. Have you ever found that you just can't find peace? That you just can't find it. You just keep trying new ways to find peace. And for each one of us, it looks a little different and we run to different things. But have you found that you just can't find peace? And as soon as you think you have it, the next thing comes down the pike. On Saturday, I usually take one exam for the Greek class that I'm in. Yesterday, I had two. And then Sunday is like my free day where I don't have any homework due. I don't have, nothing's posted for my class. And so Sunday, I don't even think about homework. And it's like the one day that I don't think about homework. When I get done with that exam on Saturday, I'm like, I am free. And then Monday morning comes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a whole week of classwork to do again. That, that peace that's not based on Christ and being in Christ comes and goes. If you find yourself not able to find peace, like I so often am not able to find peace, it's because we're looking for it in comfort. And comfort comes and goes, or we grab onto it, but it lies to us. It's the kind of thing that Paul is describing in chapter 5 here. This is an ultimate form of thinking that you have peace and security, but you're not right with God. It's a false sense of peace and security and comfort. But the folks he's talking about here are not even right with God. We see a little picture of that in our own lives. Often we try to get this peace as an add-on to our Christian life. We think, okay, I need to add on peace. Oh, and there's joy over here. We're about to talk about faith, hope, and love. Oh, I got to add faith on. I got to add hope on. And we keep adding these ingredients into our life thinking, okay, now I'm going to work on this. Now I'm going to have this word for the year and I'm going to add this onto my life. And if we want to extend Steve's pizza analogy that he used last week that just made me hungry for the entire service, he talked about the gospel just being the full picture Um, If we want to keep going with that analogy, and it's going to break down somewhere, and I'm about to make you hungry, that's all right. Um, But often, we just take the ingredients of the pizza, and we just take them one at a time, and it's not that great. Like marinara sauce, it's like smashed tomatoes, right? And like the cheese that's on a wig and pin pizza, it's a melted cheese stick, right? Like you take that stuff, and you just eat it one at a time, not that great. Put it all together, the full package, it tastes right. So often our focus is not being in Christ. The focus is adding on the things to our life that we think are missing. Instead of finding grace and peace in Christ, in what he has already done for us. Hungry yet? Barbecue's coming. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. In verse 3, he starts by saying, we remember before our God and Father. He's talking about giving thanks and remembering. Giving thanks and remembering. This giving thanks, we're going to talk about this as we get to the application here tonight of the things we have to be thankful for as a church. But Paul wants to give thanks and remember the gospel taking root in the church 
in Thessalonica, he gets this report back from Timothy and he hears this great report of how they are believing the gospel and they're living at peace with God and with one another. And he wants to remember that and he wants to be thankful for that. That overflow of being in Christ also leads to thanksgiving for what God has done. Thanksgiving for where God has put us. I found myself saying to one of my kids the other day, often I tell my kids things, I'm like, I really needed to hear that. That if we just sit down and make a list of all the things we have to grumble about, we can come up with a pretty long list. All of us. But likewise, if we sit down and we make a list of all the things we have to be thankful for, we can come up with a pretty long list. A lot of life is based on our focus. What are we focused on? Paul is saying, I'm thankful for what I hear God doing in this church, in your lives, because you're in Christ. Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of goodness here in verse 3. We could spend a whole sermon on this right here, but let's look at what we see here. An example, this is an example of what we've been talking about, of what it looks like to live in Christ. He ends by saying, in our Lord Jesus Christ. In our Lord Jesus Christ, he sees in them faith, hope, and love. Kind of the big three that Paul goes back to letter after letter as evidence of our Christian faith, our evidence of being in Christ. Faith, hope, and love. But look at the action words that are in here. He is remembering their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness, which which means active endurance. He sees active endurance, a labor of love, and their work. He sees the gospel working itself out in their lives. They are not just in Christ, and that's a theoretical reality. It is bringing a difference, a tangible difference that they can see with their eyes, that he can hear about with his ears, about what it looks like to be good news people. He sees more faith, more hope, more love. He sees steadfastness. He sees this endurance, this active endurance in their life. He sees this labor of love because they are remembering that they are in Christ. They don't just check all the right theological boxes. They are good news people in the way they are living their lives. And Paul is saying, well done. He is thanking them as he remembers the work that he sees going on in this church. This is what good news people look like. Note as we go through 1 Thessalonians, all the active verbs that we run across. This is not just, he's not just commending them and thanking them for the things that they assent to mentally and cognitively. He's pointing out all the actions he sees them doing that are bringing glory to the Father because of their relationship in Christ. Let's look at verse 4 together. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. This brings about the question, how do we get into God's family? This is a a very real question that we have on our minds. It's a very real question as we take communion, as we will tonight. This was a very real question in the church throughout the New Testament. 
Who is in the family of God? The apostles wrestled with this in the book of Acts. The church in Thessalonica wrestled with this. The apostles wrestled with this. Who is in the family of God? What does it look like to be in the family of God? Is it those that don't eat food that's previously been sacrificed to idols? Is it those who are circumcised and enter into the Jewish faith? Is it those that worship in a particular way? Paul is saying here what it takes to be in the family of God. It is not the ethnicity. It is not the color of skin. It is not the religious practice. It is not the color of skin. It is those that are what? Loved and chosen by God. Maybe this isn't necessarily circles that you run around in, but the church has spent a lot of time, not just this church, but the church at large, Big C Church, a lot of time talking about what it means that we are chosen by God. There's been a lot of time spent talking about that theological reality, and it's an important thing to wrestle with. We've had a theological panel about it after service ourselves. It's something that we had to wrestle with together as a a church and a pastoral team as we went through the book of Ephesians. It's a biblical reality. It's something that we read that we are chosen by God. It's very hard to wrap our minds around the mechanics of what it means that we are chosen by God. But Paul here in 1 Thessalonians is not going to give us any answers to how that works theologically. What he is saying is, remember that you are chosen by God. You are in the family of God because the God of the universe chose you to be in his family. You are the called out ones. You are called out of darkness and into the light. You who are once dead in your trespasses and sins have been made alive by Christ. God has chosen you to be in his family. That's how we're in the family of God, based on God's choosing. Look with me for a moment at Deuteronomy chapter 7. God says to his people why he chose them, the nation of Israel, to be his people. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Here, God is telling his people, you are chosen by God not because of your awesomeness, but because of the Lord's choosing because of the Lord's covenant that he has made with you. And as the apostles in all these sermons in Acts, the sermons that we have the transcripts from in Acts, as we read those sermons, this is what the apostles go back to time and time again. God's people delivered in the Old Testament. God making his covenant with Abraham. God delivering Moses and the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians. This covenant that God has made with his people. You are chosen by me and I am going to be faithful to you even when you are faithless. This is what a church is. A church is not just a group of people that decide to go to the same place every Sunday morning or Sunday night. The church is 
those who are chosen by God, called out of their old way of life and into a new life of grace and peace because of what Christ has done. That's what brings us together. And tonight, as I said, we'll take communion. And what that is, is people being drawn to the table of the Lord. And the thing that draws them there is not their greatness, but the greatness of their Savior. Earlier, we asked the question, what is a church? What brings us together? And it's ultimately this choosing by God, this being in Christ. This September, I had a chance to go to a concert, and I got to see my favorite band in concert, Dream Come True. My favorite band is the Black Keys, and I got to see them in Kansas City. Uh, They played at the Sprint Center. That's where they have the Big 12 basketball tournament. So there was 10,000 people there. Uh, Lots of people. One of the biggest concerts I've ever been to. And if you've been to a concert before, um, there's a couple of different kinds of concerts. There's the concert you go to and the band that you don't really know or you don't really like or a lot of people don't really know them. And you go and they play and maybe they're the opening band. It's so funny. You watch like the opening band at a smaller concert and everyone else is just kind of like tapping their feet, looking at their clock, looking at their phone like, okay, when is the good band going to start? But then there's like three people up front that is like the band's girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. And they're like singing every word. And they're the only ones that are singing every word. And they're up there just like, yeah, just so excited. And everyone else is like, what's going on around here? So that's one experience. The other experience is when the band comes out that everyone knows and everyone is there to see. And they start singing and everyone knows the words to the song. And like from the very first note they play, everyone knows what song it is and they sing along. It's an awesome feeling. When I was at the Sprint Center, so I have, I'm not going to get too technical here. Some of you are like, stop talking about this, but I'll just, one more minute, indulge me for a minute. It applies, trust me. So my favorite song by the Black Keys is this song that I didn't, they never played on the radio. I didn't know if anyone knew it. And I, I didn't even think they would play it at the concert. I'm like, there's no way they're going to play this song. It's a B-side. It wasn't on the radio. They're not going to play it at the concert. So the concert starts and the first couple of songs, they have like this sheet behind them and they're like projecting things on the sheet and the sheet's kind of like waving in the wind and it looks kind of like amateur hour. I'm like, this is weird. Like, this is a strange backdrop for a band of, of this magnitude to be playing. Um, and then after that second song, they start the song that is my favorite song. And that sheet falls down and reveals what the backdrop actually is. And come to find out, this is like other people's favorite song too. Because everyone stands up to their feet. And it's like, that's when the concert really started. And everyone starts singing along with the song at the same time. It was an incredible feeling. It's a really moving experience to be in a crowd of 10,000 people and you're all singing the same song. We are God's people and we're called together and we have the same song to sing. And it's not about our goodness. We didn't just sing about our awesomeness. (laughs) We didn't just sing like how awesome we are. We sing about how good our Savior is. That's the song that we share. That's how we can come together from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, different skin colors, different majors, different life experiences, different stages of our relationship with following Jesus. And we can come together and we can sing the song of Jesus. 
We can sing that we are chosen by God. We can sing because we are in Christ. We can take communion together because we are called out by God and called into his family. We have a song to sing, and we all know it if we are in Christ. And it's the song of how great Jesus is. And maybe you had a great week. You felt like you were just killing it at work and at school and your relationship with Christ. Or maybe you dragged yourself here, wondering if you're worthy to take communion. If you are in Christ, he brings both of those people together. And we go to the table, not based on our performance this week, but based on what Christ has done for us. Paul concludes with really his main thought in these first five verses, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul knows that the faith of the church in Thessalonica is genuine for three reasons. One, how it came to them. Two, the content of the message. And three, the result or the fruit of that message. How it came, the content of it, and the result. So first, how it came to them. He says it came to them and that they were the kind of men, what kind of men they proved to be among them. And that it came with full conviction. He's saying that the message that came to him when Paul preached in Thessalonica, the way that it came to them was in full conviction. It was in full sincerity. It was genuine. It came to them from a place of the Spirit moving. Paul wasn't trying to peddle the gospel for his own sake. He wasn't trying to get anything for himself. He wasn't trying to make a great name for himself. So he knows that their faith was genuine because of how the message came and then the content of it. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The content of what he preached to the Thessalonians formed a church because the content was, again, not, hey, become Jewish like me or, hey, follow me. The message was about the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And then the result which we'll dive more into next week in the next few verses, the result was them walking in Christ, forming a church based on them being chosen by God, not based on their own goodness. The result was them walking as God's good news people. And so he's thanking God for their genuineness of faith. He's thanking God for what he sees in their life. And he knows that their faith is genuine because of how the message came, the content of it, and the result of that message taking root in their lives. This is the point in the show where we usually dive into application. There's a number of applicable things in here. There's going to be a ton more next week. And as we go through this series, this is really a series with a lot of application. There's a lot of implications for us as we try to be God's good news people. But I want to take the application time uh, in tonight's sermon, and I want to do what Paul did for the church in Thessalonica. I want to apply what Paul did right now, and I want to thank you for being God's people. I want to thank you for what I see going on in your lives. 
I want to thank you for how I see you being good news people. Not just here on Sunday nights, but in our community and in your community groups and towards my family, I want to thank you for the signs of the gospel taking root in your lives that I see. It is incredible to see what God is doing in the lives of individuals, in households, in community groups, in our community, in our workplaces, at the university. It's amazing to see what God is doing. A few tangible examples without naming names because I want to give the credit to God here. But there was a couple who told me that they came together to Grace Downtown for the first time. And before they even got in the doors, someone struck up a conversation with them. And it wasn't someone with a lanyard on. It wasn't a staff member. It wasn't a designated greeter. It was just a couple that started talking to them and wanted to welcome them and get to know them. And they said, that was a different experience than we'd ever had at church. Before we even got in the door, someone had engaged with us and welcomed us well. That is being God's good news, people. I talked to a student last week who was gone for the holidays, and she said, I can't believe I miss this church so much, and I can't believe I miss my community group so much. Because she felt pretty new. But over the holidays, not seeing everyone in this community, she missed it, and she was surprised how much she missed it so quickly. I've had multiple alumni of this church and of the University of Iowa that moved away before we started Grace Downtown six and a half years ago, that as I stay in relationship with them, they say, I wish that Grace Downtown would have been there when I would have gone to the University of Iowa. It would have changed my life to have this church here when I went to school at the University of Iowa. I see evidence of God in the way that you are strategically planning out your lives. There are multiple specific examples in this room of people that have changed the direction of their life. Their major, their career, what kind of house they would have, where that house would be, based on what God has called them to do. Being on his gospel mission and being his biblical community. I talk to multiple people every year that say that they have grown since being a part of Grace Community Church more than they have even growing up in the church. That's a testament to the gospel taking root in our community. I hear people often say they have never experienced grace, true grace like they have experienced in this biblical community. You know stories from your own life and in your community group and from in this church of what God is doing. And by God's grace, we'll just continue to grow as God's gospel people and his good news people. But let's take a moment and let's remember and thank God that he is at work among us. I can't tell you how many times I hear about you all ministering to one another using God's word. You are feeding and receiving God's word from one another, even outside of Sunday nights, even outside of your biblical community assigned night to study the Bible together. You are ministering to each other using God's word. I sit on a committee here in Johnson County and one of those committee members from the community said, if I run across someone who is asking questions of faith, I know to send them to your church because they'll be welcomed and their questions will be answered. 
What an amazing grace God has poured out on us to be his good news people. If you noticed, I didn't, nothing I just mentioned there has anything to do with how great your pastors are. (laughs) We're trying to be faithful, but I can't remember the last person that said, you know what, I go to this church because of you. (laughs) First off, if that was true, God probably wouldn't let me hear it because it wouldn't be good for me to hear. But the thing that's happening in this church is we are becoming, by God's grace, God's good news people. And for many of you, the most meaningful person in this room never stands up on stage. For many of you, those that have discipled you the most will never be on staff or get their name in the insider or be up here on stage. That's God's word at work in your lives. It's people being in Christ and living as God's good news people. We hope that Sunday nights is a great reminder for you of the good news. But being good news people is sharing that good news and demonstrating and declaring that good news to our world and to our biblical community each and every day. We end our services on our feet because we want to carry out being God's good news people, not just here in this building. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the evidence of God's work that I see in your life. Thank you for ministering to me based on God's good news. Thank you for ministering to my family. It's awesome to hear my kids go down to children's ministry or to interact with one of you and hear the good news. I'm not the only one sharing the gospel with my kids. You all are sharing the gospel with my kids, and that is a great gift that you have given to me just as a father. I thank you for how I see the good news of the gospel taking root in this church. And whatever God may have for us in the future, for Grace Community Church, for Grace Downtown, for our lives, really what it boils down to, oh, we are only as good as the gospel that we believe, proclaim, and live out. We want to be people of gospel truth, community, and mission, but we're only as good as the gospel that we believe, that we proclaim, and that we live out. That's the kind of life that God has called us to as his good news people.